before we kick off the episode, we just want to say a huge thank you to our patrons, Toby and Jennifer, who have chosen to support us on the highest tier available on our Patreon, Rainbow Parents. So thank you so much for your support and for the support of all our other patrons. Sincerely, you help us keep the show going. So thank you very much. And we have a link to the Patreon in the description if you would like to check it out. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis and welcome to one of our guest specials. Today we are joined by a very special guest who will be answering the question, what movies made you queer? I am very excited to welcome Bren Frederick. Yay! Hello. Who, amongst basically professional bisexual um it's the same way that I'm a professional homosexual, the founder of the Bipan Library, which you've never heard of. I beg you to Google it. It is an, an incredible resource for kind of Bipan and MSpec books. Chef's Kiss, wonderful stuff. We love to see it. And so, you know, also my friend. So I was like, please come on the podcast. Love to chat to you, my friends, in a professional <laughs> capacity. I am very happy to be here. So as we normally do at the very start of these episodes, when we talk about the What Movies Made You Queer format we like to also specify you know queer is queer is not necessarily how everyone identifies so what words do you use to de- to describe your identity what is the official title of this episode bren frederick movies that made me blank movies that made me bisexual genderqueer um those are the main words that i use i also just use queer as sort of a blanket term for myself all of that would be accurate amazing we have had a fair few people who have done these guest format episodes and they, some of them have doubled up with the the kind of things that they wanted to talk about. Uh, there's a lot of people where it's like, oh, this these particular movies or these particular characters really spark something in, in many bisexual people um, or, you know, many queer people. You did send me some previews of some of the stuff you're going to talk about. And I am potentially, potentially going to bet Uh, put money on the fact that no one else is going to have your choices because you have chosen some truly wild, wild picks. Um, So I would love to hear about your first one in whatever order you decide. Most hinged to least hinged, um, (laughs) earliest to most recent, whatever you fancy, go for it. Okay, well, for my first movie, I've chosen Hoot from 2006. It's based on the novel Hoot by Carl Hyacin and it's rated a whopping 26% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh <laughs> I, my god. I don't I think I'm in the wrong on the wrong podcast for anyone to know what movie I'm talking about. You're on the wrong planet. Have you seen this film, Rowan? <laughs> no, I had no idea it existed and you sent me I'm glad that you didn't send me just that information that you sent me the poster because I feel like I got more of a sense of what was going on in that it also has some quite famous people in it. This isn't some before like before random they were. indie movie that like no, with people we've never heard of like these are these are some big names yeah like surely brie larson has been mentioned on this podcast before surely if not an injustice has been done yeah but yeah brie, brie larson in it yep this is i believe her first like main role in a film i could be wrong and she has a pop single over the credits <gasps> okay the fact i didn't know that it's truly yeah truly a, an injustice absolutely so okay what is the <laughs> plot of this movie like what if if people are th- sitting down thinking wow 26 percent on Ron tomatoes that seems like a gem brie larson singing a pop song i'd watch it what is what is actually going on in this movie right so it isn't a musical we'll start there um it was just this thing that happened in the aughts where like 
leading girls and women would sing a song and it would go over the credits and we just all accepted that that was how it was. I don't know if everyone was trying to start a pop career at that point. So the main character is our boy Roy Eberhardt, played by Logan Lerman, who you might know as... And not a star-studded cast. Percy Jackson himself, which I never Mm -hmm. saw because... um, yeah. You heard the rumors about how bad it was and you were like, I will I will simply not <laughs> be watching this. No, it was, uh, well, I grew up very conservative Christian, so it was like pagan nonsense. Oh, right? yeah, no, that's, of course, yeah. <laughs> e- equ- equally valid as an excuse, I guess. Essentially, it's about uh, these three kids who, Roy, Beatrice the Bear, and Beatrice's stepbrother, who's only known as Mullet Fingers, Mullet as in what? <laughs> mullet is in uh, the little fish. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense than the little, like, little <laughs> tiny wigs on all his fingers. Uh, this is a completely different movie. So they become friends. Roy is new in town. Um, he's not fitting in. He's from Montana, um, and he's new in Florida. It's set in the Florida Everglades. Sure. Yeah. That seems like a place that exists. <laughs> And I I could really make an argument for this film being anti-capitalist, anti-cop. Pro-mullet. Because because the the center of this plot is these kids are trying to stop a big franchise pancake house from being built on this little lot that has a bunch of burrowing owls in them, endangered burrowing owls. Carl Hayeson, who wrote the book, is an environmentalist and really involved in a lot of efforts to save the Florida wetlands. And all of anything that comes from this man is trying to save the birds. This is, I mean, that sounds like a delightful movie. Yeah. But but how did it make but me queer? But here's the question. <laughs> yeah. Where did the, where, like, I get that, like, gay people like birds or whatever. But, like, where is where is the connection for you here? None of these three kids fit into the gender role they're supposed to fit into. Um, mm. And that's not at all central to, like, that's not what the, the sh- movie is trying to tell you, but it's the thing that I picked up on as a kid. Mm. Roy is very sensitive and gentle and kind and emotional about these little birds. Beatrice is a star athlete at the school. She's a soccer player. Um, she's very tough. All the boys are afraid of her. Uh, she can outrun anybody. Like she's she and she's known as the bear. Uh, she has this very like masculine tough nickname. And then Mullet Fingers is a runaway uh, from his family. His family uh, does not understand him, doesn't treat him well, and he would rather go live like he literally lives like in a swamp, kind of, and feels far more connected to nature and animals than with humanity. And that sort of, that distance from what you're supposed to be. Mm. And also, it's an entirely platonic film also. Like, there's moments where you might think, like, maybe Roy and Beatrice have a crush on each other, maybe near the end, Mm. but it's not central at all. And they have this very equal, platonic, uh, caring friendship. Um, At one point, Beatrice, like, stays the night in Roy's bedroom. They're, like, middle schoolers, and they just have a a nice, like, emotional conversation. There's no implication of anything romantic there, and it's... It's very, very sweet. And that was so important to me as a kid where I was just kind of drawn to people of any kind as friends, as crushes. And it was so much media at the time, like the 90s and the aughts, was very aggressively gendered, very aggressively Mm, heterosexual and prescriptive. 
And uh, this movie didn't do that to me. <laughs> and I, I, felt, I felt so safe there. I, I watched it so frequently on my little portable DVD player that we would have had at the time. Okay, so you've done something truly incredible just then with that description, Bren, because you've made me want to watch this movie. Watch it with me. That is 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> we absolutely need to have a like a Netflix Zoom party situation with this because it sounds adorable. And I definitely understand what you mean about the the idea of having these sort of possibilities put before you, especially ones that didn't fit into this very prescriptive idea that showed you a world where you didn't have to fit into this particular like mold this particular type. And I think that that's always so exciting to see that it doesn't necessarily have to be that you are like, oh yes, this one character is who I am. But just the idea of like, you can have a character who's rejected their family or you can have a character who is breaking the norms. It doesn't have to be the norms that you want to break, but it still has that element of, uh, you know, something that feels relatable, especially I think to young queer people. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Something I was noticing as I was looking back over the movies I thought I might talk about today was I was very drawn to movies with at least three main characters rather than a central protagonist, a hero or a heroine. Because if there are three people of any gender, one of them is going to end up sidestepping out of some sort of prescriptive gender rule because Mm. they need it to be three different dynamic characters. Mm. So if there's a man and a woman and then a sidekick of any gender, that sidekick is going to be breaking some sort of gender norm. Um, and I was always the most attached to that third person. And those, those were always the most comfortable to me because I could sort of patchwork together the things that I related mm. to from all of these uh, different archetypes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, thinking about just the idea of the like, I don't know, the Lizzie McGuire, like three relationship kind of teen show element of like you had the the main girl who was like pretty much the like normal girl kind of thing. The boy who was like, you know, some flavor of boy that probably might end up being a love interest of some kind. And then the lesbian best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, truly, <laughs> that's the one on the side, which we love to see. Uh, so, you know, Buffy, similar energy uh, with the Willow, the lesbian best friend <laughs> on the side. Mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, did you have any inkling at the time of like what this meant to you or is this one of those things where you look back on it and you're like oh boy this is really giving me some uh some uh, info about myself as a child uh certainly not the gender part of it um that mm. that I have I am still entangling as an adult but at the time I was extremely preoccupied with Brie Larson in the film I had a crush on all of those main characters like Logan Lerman, Brie Larson, and whoever the other guy was. He doesn't, I don't think he acts anymore. Mullet Fingers. He should <laughs> just fingers. be known as Mullet Fingers from now on. Great kid. I don't know. What a guy. <laughs> but I, I was very preoccupied with Beatrice. She was she was so tough and cool. She was also feminine. Um, I was very attracted to her. And I couldn't, it, it, you know, it was that classic situation of not knowing if you want to be her or mm. if you like her. So I would like try to do my hair like her and didn't like it and didn't know what the deal was with that. Uh, (laughs) So, but at the time, like I hadn't, it had not hit my consciousness yet what it meant that I was so drawn to her or that I was so drawn to like my uh, close female friends with whom I had very intense relationships and didn't understand why Mm. they were so intense either. So no, it wasn't conscious at all. I didn't have my first realization that I might like girls, much less all of the rest of it until I was... 15 or 16 and that was maybe a week 
I had maybe a week where I was thinking a lot about that and then I repressed it so hard it didn't come back up again until I was 18 or 19. I mean, uh, here's the thing. (laughs) That sucks real hard. But also, as you know, this podcast and me myself is all about distance from real emotions and therefore incredible work. Honestly, (laughs) that was... I deserve an you award. Really, you really decided yeah. to repress it and you you committed. Diligence. You know, years long repression, <laughs> incredible work. Do you have any of these examples that you feel like were part of that, either that initial realization or the subsequent realizations later on? Has there been anything that you've really felt like, oh, this is a part of that realization or that feels like it factors into it? Or has it always been sort of before and after the fact? I've only had a few that had to do with media one of them was a book which i don't know if you want to talk me to talk about it i'll i'll allow considering that you are a librarian i guess i'll allow you to talk about a book <laughs> on this film podcast this audio visual podcast yeah the the first book that i read with a bisexual main character is a book called far from you by tess sharp it's a young adult uh, mystery thriller like murder mystery thriller about a girl whose secret girlfriend uh, is dead so you know classic we did bury her and then later in the book um she starts developing a relationship with a boy and both of those relationships are treated as equally real equally emotionally deep the author uh is uh queer herself and i remember when i read it i didn't know that about this book before i picked it up so when i got to this part of the book where i realized what was happening um and the girls are kissing on the page i was sitting in a church and i had this like this sense of like collapse around me. There's a stained glass window, you know, to the side of me with a cross on it. And I'm reading this book that's like, just this like lightning bolt through me of connecting dots suddenly of like every girl in a movie that I've been like really fixated on of every girl I knew in real life who was, I was just, I didn't know why I was so drawn to her. And it was very, very intense. And that that would have been when I was... 18-ish. And that one I couldn't, I couldn't repress after that. It was just, it was too intense, too much at once. Um, I was just old enough, I think, to have this sense of like separated identity. I had a job outside the house. Like I'd emerged from, from needing to be so self-protective. And it was, it was very scary. (laughs) I don't know Mm. that it was a good experience exactly at the time. I think, I mean, I think that it's like with movies, I kind of can understand a sense of understanding of your sexuality through crushes on movie characters or even understanding gender through a kind of gender envy element of the presentation of characters. Mm-hmm. But I do but I do understand this element of books to go into the like interiority of someone in a way that movies can't necessarily get to or sometimes we'll have to use the language of books through like voiceover something like that to get to. And so I can absolutely see like not just the concept of two girls being able to kiss, but just like what was going on inside the mind of a character while that was happening that would give it validity, that would connect with internal emotions that were happening inside as well. That's a really good point. I haven't I hadn't thought about that before. Um, And it is written in first person, I believe. Mm. So it, it. even even more of that, the character's thoughts just sort of turn into your thoughts as you're reading and. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. I mean, rebrand the queer book podcast. Um, 
coming to you soon, the spin-off <laughs> series. Um, that is really interesting. And also like such a, no offense, but you do, that does sound like a scene from a YA movie that you just <laughs> you just said you were like yeah I was in church and I read and it suddenly connected everything and I'm like I can see it now I can see that montage you know it's very cinematic back through your head yeah yeah today we're here to talk about the movie of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh love to like really excited for your new movie your new your new biography new bio biopic or biopic I fully don't I've always said biopic but so have I and then everyone said saying biopic and I was like oh no am I about to embarrass myself in front of film bros but I so I just you know what maybe I'll never say the word again maybe I'll just pick the pronunciation of the person who says it first within the exact context <laughs> that I'm in and it will be fine <laughs> I would love to hear about your next movie pick all right uh speaking of girls that I had strangely intense uh friendships with princess diaries were you were you friends with anne hathaway is that what we're trying to is that what's happening no i wish i did have a huge crush on anne hathaway but specifically i have picked this film um because of lily moskowitz played by Mm. heather matarazzo real life lesbian confirmed (laughs) confirmed lesbian there is such a great friendship between lily and mia in the film and in the books, which are also very good. And neither of these characters is queer in the movie. Um, I don't think I don't think there are any even implied queer characters in Princess Diaries that I can remember. There is uh, I can I can tell you the Princess Diary law uh, keepers here. Um, <gasps> I think I believe that there is one mentioned character which is in the montage scene where they're going through in number number two two, yes and they're going through and saying like oh what are some eligible bachelors for me to marry and there's one of them where it's like he's very she says like oh he's very handsome and uh the bodyguard says yeah his boyfriend thinks so too and it's like (laughs) oh good for him yeah okay moving on (laughs) right on (laughs) yes you're right you're right but i kind of think that's it i think that's like it but lily is so proudly different stubbornly different like different so on purpose and has a very close and long friendship with Mia and through the movie we see Mia start to change and she starts moving more towards a more feminine presentation uh, more traditionally uh, attractive presentation um, and also uh, towards relationships with boys which neither of them had really had to worry about before what happens in the film i mean not I mean i feel like we can give i'm going to spoil the premise of princess diaries in case anyone is for some reason like ha, has managed to, to get this far in life and not understand the premise of princess diaries there's a girl uh she finds out that her dad was a prince and now that he is dead uh she in fact is meant to be the next ruler of this obscure and fictional european country uh and she is plucked out of her life as a high schooler in America and has to be taught by her grandmother and various teachers how to be a princess, which includes straightening her curly hair, taking off her glasses, like all of these classic, like the transformation tropes really go really hard in this movie. They really do. And that, and so like, yeah, what's happening in the movie is that she is being transformed into a literal princess, like the most feminine, ideal style uh, kind of caricature that you could think of for better or for worse. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it she's fine with and some of it she feels is ridiculous. And that that's an mm-hmm. interesting discussion in itself, I think, in that film, that she does have to pretend in some ways and in some ways 
she embraces the change and sort of figuring out which of these things that I'm conforming to do I identify with and which don't I. Mm-hmm. But back to Lily. Lily is absolutely furious through a lot of the movie because uh, of all these changes she's very um, intimidated and I think feels very defensive of their relationship and how it might change because how Mia looks and acts and her priorities are changing she's very disdainful of the boy that Mia has such a big crush on for lots of the movie and I just remember uh, relating to that so much as a kid who when my friends had crushes on somebody else or when you know the special friends that i had a special connection to that mm. could not could definitely couldn't be put into a simple and short word that we have for that situation i mean whoever that friend had a crush on was my mortal enemy mm. like the, the, there was no greater betrayal why did she need him i i did i didn't need somebody else i was happy i had this friendship and like i didn't I could list off a couple boys' names to, like, get get people off my tracks, I guess. But that was a feeling in that movie that, that I always projected onto it, was that Lily was feeling what I was feeling when I was young. And this is really interesting, right, because this is a character who's not portrayed in the movie like this is correct, right? So in the movie, exactly. she says she says things like she has a talk show that's called Shut Up and Listen. God. Like, it's it's very much she's portrayed as, like, this annoying bullheaded self-righteous feminist like uh if she like she's going too far like me is the one in the middle who has her head screwed on right who's finding the you know the middle ground and lily's the one who's just being too extreme um which i think is really interesting that like even through the sort of implications of this movie in terms of like that element of lily's personality is not something that you're necessarily encouraged to appreciate that you still found an appreciation for it even without it being kind of like spoon-fed to you as like oh this is a character characteristic you're meant to support that you still found a connection to it oh yeah I certainly wasn't like Lily was meant to be such an extreme character that is like has a good heart but it goes too far whereas Mia is also an activist and also like remains you know she still has feminism at her heart but she's doing it in this much more controlled tamed feminine way mm-hmm. i actually think you know what i act i actually think that like as much as i love this movie still i think that it also did kind of hush me up a little bit like it both it both mm-hmm. made me queer and made me quiet for a little bit longer because it showed so much of a more respectable way to be different be a girl and be an activist is that like you find the respectable way to do it you aren't too loud so like not to criticize the movie i came here to praise but (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think here's the thing though like because you can have movies that were influential to you that you are like these are still not perfect or like even even that they were influential to you because you were like oh absolutely not like this has made me angry and this has like been a part of my journey in that way like I feel like all of those kind of things are very valid oh sure I I don't think any of the movies that I'm bringing today are are perfect not even hoot not Not even hoot hoot. it's a little too sensitive sensitive to one of the main characters who is a cop (laughs) Mm, okay I see, I see. And then at that time where you, when you were watching, I'm imagining that this was not something that you were like consciously being like, oh yes, a crush or like, oh yes, a character who is like me because I'm different because of these reasons. It was, it was kind of pre that realization, I'm assuming. 
Yeah. Uh, well, because all the characters who I relate to now, I look back on these films, and I'm like, I related to that person, like, maybe on a gender way. Mm. At the time, I thought I was relating to the other character who was more respectable, more feminine, and straighter. Uh, <laughs> that's who I thought I was relating to, mm. it, which was, was not the case. So it, it's this backwards patchwork thing like I was saying about Hoot, where I thought that from a gender perspective, I was relating to the character I was attracted to. Mm, Yeah. And also, maybe I thought that I was attracted to male characters, when really it was that I related to them in a gender way. Oh, what a mood. Yeah. So I, I feel like I have that energy of like, relating, like thinking that I fancied the actually yeah thinking about it the the two examples i gave earlier gordo from lacy mcguire or xander from buffy <laughs> the idea of like oh yeah i'm attracted to these men no i wasn't it was because it was like okay these are like awkward nerds who are like not lucky in romance not lucky in life just sort of chilling out not necessarily feeling like anything special and i was like ah, oh, okay maybe now i can acknowledge the fact that this was not because i had a crush on these boys it's because i was like oh no i'm too much like this too much this energy not even not necessarily in the gender way but just in a, a personality way and also like them having these Less so Xander, because he was a bit weird about his having crushes on people. And I really didn't kind of have that sort of energy. Mm-hmm. But Gordo has very like quiet, a very quiet crush on Lizzie through much of the series. Justice for Gordo, truly a campaign. Like they were meant to be doing a remake of that uh, show. And if if she had not been married to Gordo, I genuinely think that there people people there would have been riots um <laughs> so i guess it's glad it's good that it got cancelled because i don't know if they needed to take that risk those two end game the original otp love love those two anyway no, this episode is not about me and my thoughts <laughs> for heterosexual characters from my childhood to get together it's about you and your movies that made you queer so do you have a third one to to bring to the table well speaking of whether or not you're attracted to men and whether this fictional male character is actually attractive. This has been one of the hardest things to untangle for me, uh, much harder actually than being attracted to women. And I keep talking about this in this very like binary gendered way, but I think that's (laughs) that's kind of just what happens to you and how you end up being forced to talk about bisexuality. I wanted to talk about the Hunger Games series and love triangles. That came out of absolutely nowhere. And I loved, uh, I, we love a good love triangle discussion on here. I didn't, I didn't warn you about this. No, you didn't. We've not had <laughs> uh, people necessarily talk about love triangles in these types of guest episodes, but we have had some hot takes about love triangles, which is always fun. Yeah. So I love, I love to talk about a good love triangle. What was going on with the Hunger Games for you? So I think... This is going to turn into a hot take situation. Love it. So I was not a shipper when it came when it came to the Hunger Games. Like I don't have a strong feeling either direction. Gail, Peta, whatever. Huge crush on Jennifer Lawrence in the film, though. Mm. Yeah, correct. Of of course, she's a woman and she looks like a cat, like in the face, and that's my type. (laughs) But Katniss is pulled between two men, which feels, I think for the majority of viewers, like a a very uh, heterosexual situation. But I had so many feelings about it when I first saw it in theaters, which was when I I believe I was in like my first relationship with a man at the time. 
especially when the later films started coming out. She is, like, kind of caught between two men, but it's, it's more of a love quadrangle. And there's a man, there's a man, there's Katniss, and there's trauma. Mm. And the trauma is a much more important relationship there um, in the films. It's about, a lot of it is about trauma, much more than any of it is about romance. But the relationship with PETA throughout the series could be real, could not be real. We don't know. Because it's, it is sensationalized, it is a performance, even if there's something real underneath it. And through the years, uh, I'm, I am married to a man, and um, there's a lot of pressure to behave one way or another ab- about that relationship and in that relationship from all sides. And the performance of that relationship... And that relationship with my own gender in tandem with my partner's gender and what that means other people think about us, what it makes other people think about our sex life, what it makes other people think about the roles in our relationship. It kind of, at a certain point, it starts feeling like it doesn't matter what that really is. It matters Mm. more what other people outside, whether that's like in the fiction of the Hunger Games where it's an audience, it's the government, it's the rebellious uh, faction or in real life people watching the film and projecting what they want to be real in in the fiction i feel caught in that and i got so emotional in through that whole series as a young adult uh, i think when that was coming out and still like if i watch it again i still feel that way cuz it feels that the the perception of what the relationship is is more important than the reality of what it is and the people inside of it and how like that pressure and that assumption kind of dissolves what's real or it can dissolve what's real. It starts feeling like it doesn't matter that much inside. I'm getting very deep about this, like like deeply no, but that's, emotional. That's fair. And like also the, like that is a motif that is like quite literally baked into the plot of those later mm-hmm. films because of Peter's memory loss and because yes. of like what, and the, and them having to, him having to rely on her and her having to rely on him to to remember what's real. Like yeah. they have that game, like real or not real. So that actually yes. like, is like a whole other level of like <sighs> reality and like relationship onto it. I like the real or not real makes me cry. I I like, oh my God, now I'm like, maybe I just want to, maybe I want to just do a movie day where I just marathon every one of these movies that you keep mentioning because every one of them, I'm like, either I've already seen it and I'm like, yes, amazing. Or I haven't and yeah. I'm like, oh, it sounds so yeah. good. But like, I also, I feel like the Hunger Games, even though, again, you're right that there is this element of like, wow, so heterosexual. So like, this is the, not at all a movie you would think that the queer people would be into. The first Hunger Games book was one of the books I did for my dissertation. Tragically, too early, I would say, because my (laughs) dissertation at university was on YA dystopia before the Hunger Games blew up. Uh, so I was doing it about the book and the movie had like only I think the first movie had just come out but it wasn't like a, a big thing at all so there was like no writing on it and now I'm sure I could do a much better job <laughs> with, with a topic that people had actually written about it wasn't just like my 18 year old self being like I want to write about dystopias for teenagers so ahead of the curve I know right but I do think when you read the books there is a really strong sense in the books of what I would consider to be an obvious like aromantic element to Katniss's character because like when she's making the decision about who she's going to be with it is almost entirely divorced from romance like it is 
entirely a practical, like platonic decision. So she's essentially like the, the decision for her a lot of the time comes down to why would I be with Gail when he can hunt? And that's what he brings to a relationship when I can hunt, but Peter can bake. Like what, mm-hmm. like that's like the practicalities that she's thinking about it as it's not as a romantic relationship as such. She's like, I like both of these guys. Like I'm friend. I was friends with Gail for a long time and I've come to really care about Peter as a friend, but who am I spending my life with? That's a practical decision. Yeah. And so I, I see so many ways in which those movies and outside characters like Joanna, for example, can be, have these elements of gender and sexuality linked to them su- in such interesting ways. So yeah, yeah. that's, I, I, I agree with you definitely that there is something in those movies, even if you don't necessarily, even when you were first watching them that you didn't necessarily clock it, that a lot of queer people I think probably had some feelings about. Yeah, there's a lot to sort of hunt and gather in in between the lines, I think. Dig in there. <laughs> and also like- Rifle around. Want to talk about like gender. Katniss outside of the games has one outfit. It's like a plain shirt, a jacket, a sweater and some pants and mostly she has a weapon mm-hmm. and she has one hairstyle yeah she's doing a lot of like compensating for her d- dead father's like yeah the role of the hunter well, the right? role of the patriarch of the family like taking responsibility protecting your like your family like all of these sort of elements of things that are praised in men Katniss yeah. is like taken on herself as part of her Katniss is the strong silent man of the house truly (laughs) like actually you're completely right yeah dang yeah and then she is in drag for to to be Mm. in the competition yes there's there's these scenes again in the book where she's getting her like nails done for the first time Mm -hmm. and getting her hair done and unlike the the Mia Thermopolis of Princess Diaries very different transformation scene into the princess of the district 12 kind of angle there's no like we take this and this and give you a princess it's her being like gross why all these people touching me yeah (laughs) it's like her only emotion (laughs) during those scenes she's not like wow I look so beautiful it's like not not a vibe for her she's really not interested yeah I loved that Mm -hmm. about about, uh, the movie I never finished the book series I know I'm supposed (gasps) to be the book person but how could you I, I genuinely really do feel like the I need to reread the books again, but I think that they definitely were, the movies were definitely picking up on the exploration of stuff that was happening in the books that was very much focused on her trauma. You're absolutely right. Like the the books and the movies both, they were like, hey, this girl is not okay. Which I also have a lot of respect for because I think that a lot of movies that are these big blockbusters now, like superhero movies, things like that, don't necessarily take the time to be like, hmm, but what would happen if you had gone through all of this nonsense? Like, how would you be feeling? Uh, Probably real messed up (laughs) you would psychologically not be okay and so I think it's always there's always like a real sense of excitement when those things are dealt with in a in a way that feels truthful which I think Mm -hmm. is why you've got the movies that do get so well received uh in terms of those plot lines are the ones that actually deal with it in an interesting way so like if you're going to talk about Iron Man 3 and Tony's like PTSD if you're going to talk about the new Black Panther movie and the examination of grief in that. If you want to talk about even like Civil War and Steve and Bucky's like very traumatic relationship. I think there's a, that's like a reason why those things are, are generally considered to be elevated slightly above the others is because they're going to deal with trauma in a way that feels authentic, even in a blockbuster. Yeah, that's why I liked the ending of 
Mm. I don't know. Actually, I don't know how the books end, but I'm going to spoil the ending of the films. Do it. It's my podcast and I decide (laughs) what gets spoiled and I've decided you can spoil the end of The Hunger Games. Well, Katniss and Peeta end up together and they have kids. And to me, it makes the most sense in the world. They're practically the only people in the world who are going to understand what the other went through. They understand each other's trauma very intimately and they have relied on each other for so long to gauge what is real or what is not real, to mm-hmm. remember what happens to them and to see the truth, to see each other. This sounds like an of course thing, but they understand the ins and outs of their relationship before and during the games. Mm, yeah. Like that, that alienation from who, who they are, what their feelings really are, or, or that happened during the games when they had an audience watching them and demanding a very like clean and pretty and perfect heterosexuality from them. Mm. They understand that pressure and we're the only two that were under that pressure like that. And they understand that. Hot take, hot take here. Katniss and Peter are a T for T relationship. <laughs> they they understand each other's trauma. They understand the performance that they've had to go through together in the public eye. That's my hot take. This Give is me that AO3 them. link. Give me that Please. AO3 link. I, I'm sure someone's written that shit. That's because that's exactly what you're saying, right? The idea of like, you have a shared trauma, you have a shared way of like having to n- navigate public perceptions of you. And like, there are some things that only you, only people who have gone through similar stuff to you can understand that like, this is really, this is really feeling like a, uh, yeah, queer people having that understanding of each other through trauma elements. So yeah, I mean, I could see it. I could see it. I can see it. I could also see bye for bye. Mm, yes. They were both, they just bond over how hot Gail is. That's there. <laughs> They're like, not for, not for us in the long term. Uh, he did do some war crimes, but like, he was hot, right? <laughs> we can all admit it. <laughs> Finnick as well. He was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Just all of this. Joanna in the lift. Yeah, that, was a, that was a crazy <laughs> <Of> time. <course. laughs> everyone in the games. Hamish once in a dream. Uh, oh, Hamish 100%. Here's the thing. <laughs> Hamish is hot. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. At this point in the podcast, we would like to thank uh, a few people who got us where we are today and are keeping us on the airwaves. So thanks first to Squarespace for sponsoring the podcast. If you're looking to build a website for yourself or your business, then Squarespace is an all-in-one place to do just that. You can use it to build a site, set up an online shop, or connect with your audience. We actually use Squarespace to make the Quinn Movie Podcast uh, website, but I think even cooler is the fact that I use it to make uh, my own website because I have some really cute pictures of me on that. I've never been relaxed a day in my life, so I have a lot of projects and social platforms and things that I'm on, but Squarespace lets you not only link to your social media, but also connect it entirely so that you can display posts from your social profiles on your site in real time, plus a ton of analytics and insights that can help you grow your brand. If you need to figure out like, where are people coming from when they visit your site? What have they searched to get there? What keywords are being used to find you? Where are these sales coming from? If you have a shop with them, you know, that kind of stuff. They also have some really exciting features like a donation function. So you can encourage donations on your site for a cause that you care about. I am very much not a techie person. So I also was very thankful for all of the templates and the easy designer tools that they have, uh, including making sure that the website does not look like absolute trash on mobile because you know nothing's worse than you making this beautiful website 
on your computer and then you look on mobile and like your incredible gallery is just like one massive picture at a time going down before any of your texts like just a, a, absolutely a mess so easy to do with Squarespace not a problem whatsoever so check out squarespace.com forward slash queer movie for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code queer movie to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain I would also love to thank our second sponsor yes that's right we have two sponsors today look at us going up in the world brilliant so we all know the stereotype that gay people can't do maths right like that's We've acknowledged that this is a stereotype and yeah, sure, there are some outliers who are, you know, naturally, they just have sums and maths coming out of their brains, but some of us need a little bit of help. So I thought that it might be interesting for us to introduce something that could help us on this journey. And that is brilliant.org, which can help you to learn more about math, science and computer science in bite-sized interactive ways. They have quite literally thousands of lessons with new ones added every month, uh, including one that I was looking at called the scientific thinking course, using science and engineering in the real world to solve puzzles and apply ideas practically, whether that's figuring out how like different structures are built or finding your way out of a hall of mirrors. If you're curious about how things work, whether that is computers all the way up to the cosmos itself, then Brilliant is a great place to start. Topics range from physics to computer science and everything beyond. It's also very visual, which I very much appreciate because just reading about science stuff, I feel like I don't really understand what's going on. Cannot make pictures in my brain. And it's also very interactive. So it's very much designed to help make lessons very understandable, even for beginners. You can dip in and out also because there's bite-sized lessons that you can finish in 15 minutes. So if you find yourself being like, oh, I could get a little cheeky hit of dopamine by scrolling through TikTok for two hours, maybe spend 15 minutes of that two hours. Uh, doing a doing a fun little lesson, learning a little bit about our world and the universe. To get started for free, you can visit brilliant.org forward slash queer movie or click on the link in the description. And the first 200 of you will get 20% off Brilliant's annual premium subscription. And speaking of science, the last thing we want to give a little shout out to in this section is uh, an incredible podcast, which is part of the multitude collective that the queer movie podcast is also in, which is called Exelor. Uh, if you haven't heard about it before, every other week, astrophysicist slash folklorist Dr. Moya McTeer explores fictional worlds by building them with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders, all reviewing the merits of worlds that have already been created. Incredible. There's humor, there's learning through humor. You will gain an appreciation for how special our planet already is. You can subscribe today by searching Exelor in your podcast app or going to exelorpod.com. Okay, so that was that was an absolutely delightful little palate cleanser of a movie which people would know. Um, <laughs> and that had, <laughs> was a big blockbuster film. Although I feel like, yeah, Princess Diaries also was a good one. But I potentially, I know you said you got two more. I feel like, are these two going to be uh, more unhinged to early 2000s terrible movies or are we going with uh, something more well-known? Uh, the next two I have are actually queer. <gasps> what? That's <laughs> Canonically. not how series works. <laughs> That's not what happens. People come here with their straight movies. What are you doing? I gave okay, you give... some very straight movies, Rowan. You did, I don't did, think yeah, you can complain. Fair, you did. <laughs> I, I can't and I, and I shall not. Um, okay, so give us the penultimate option. All right. I want to talk about Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, which is a... Ooh, talking of superheroes. Yeah. So a 
polyamorous romance about the creator of Wonder Woman, a queer icon in and of herself. I I mean I'd never seen a movie like this before. Mm, yeah, no, this is this is a a movie that you would expect like if you knew about the biography of the people involved that you would expect that it would be like straight washed like sanitized like very much so that it wouldn't really tell the true story that it would try and make it like I don't know weird inspirational elements to it rather than so but like how was your experience with it like did you know about any of the background beforehand or did you go into this movie not knowing what to expect I went into it I knew what like I knew that it was going to be a poly romance I didn't know the full story of like how it went and I went in expecting a devastating ending Mm. because at this point this would have been maybe I was like 25 or 26 when I watched this and I I just expected like the pattern of how these things go Mm. that you've been burned before yeah burned again yeah historical biographical film (laughs) about two women and a man falling in love all with each other was going to end with devastation. Um, and mm-hmm. there is like, there is sadness in the ending, but it's not completely sad. After so many films where I have had to patchwork together some sort of fake representation in my head mm-hmm. of, of what I am, something to relate to, even in like lots of other love triangle films where in the end, you have to choose one. One of them will mm. be, you know, correct or one of them will be canonical. Professor Marston the Wonder Woman is just, there's a couple and they fall in love with another woman and it kind of just works out for them all in the end. Mm. Like they go to their death all together. Uh, in the end of the film, the man dies and the women what? are together for the rest of their life. This is so cute. Oh, this is truly (laughs) just like you. This experience of not having to like watch a choice be made and understand Mm. in your heart that the choice is telling you what you're supposed to do. Yeah. That prescriptive, like, you can only have one. Yeah, and this is the right thing. Like, this is what you should be doing. This is the right thing. The wife, Professor Marston's wife, should have had to choose. That's that's mm. that's what would happen in any other movie. <laughs> yeah. Is that she would have to choose between this woman and this man. And she doesn't. I truly, like, so shocked by this when I, when it first was, people talking about it and that it was coming out. And that it wasn't, like, it was a very classic mid-budget kind of movie like it was it wasn't some like underground (laughs) like oh we've had to do it ourselves like in the dark of the night kind of situation that was like so exciting yeah I think that even if even if you're monogamous and bisexual I think it's a very beautiful experience because in so much bi media that is about specifically bisexual women coming to a realization that they're queer that realization often comes at the cost of a relationship that they are already in with a man, mm. which is uh, fine and a real thing that happens. And like, I am not, I'm not saying that can't be a good story, but when it's like maybe the main story that you see that's also positive about bisexuality, that could be like pretty painful mm. if you're already in a relationship that's uh, fulfilling and good 
that the only way there is to explore your sexuality is to blow up your life mm. <laughs> that you already have and maybe are, are happy with, more or less. But in this book, they discover something new and their relationship is strengthened by it. I, I love that. It's, it's, it's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. And also watching, it, it's also not just the beginning of that relationship. It's, it's not a romantic story where it ends with a wedding. It ends with they create a life together and they age together. Mm. They raise children together. They have a queer middle age. Mm. Yeah. You know? And although in many cases, like, their life and their relationship does make them unsafe or makes it difficult for them to be successful or it it puts them in danger, in other ways, they also find people who accept them and understand them. Mm. And they find a lot of fulfillment uh, with each other. And their children love them. And it's just, like, the idea of a queer middle age, the idea Mm -hmm. of a, a bisexual middle age also, because so much bisexual uh fiction of of any format is about young bisexual people yeah that meant so much to me um watching it in my mid-20s truly unable to imagine what the rest of my life looked like as as a bi person so i don't know it's it's lovely it's also it's also kinky like that didn't really factor mm. in but i feel like people should know but if they're we gonna go add into that. it we add that <laughs> people in should know um it's a little kinky. <laughs> i i yeah because i'm thinking about the like shows or media that i've that i know of that have this like poly element to them that are more mainstream so like the ending of sense eight uh mm-hmm. solves a love triangle with mm-hmm. just being like what if we all win a relationship together we love to see it and again it has that that element of like we're strengthening a relationship this is not something that's going to be bought that's going to turn to jealousy this is not something that's like okay we need you to break up with this guy so you can be with this guy it very much was like okay actually we each individually within this relationship have a relationship to each other that feels dynamic and interesting and fulfilling and respectful and then also Iron Widow which is a, a YA book that came out this year which ends in polyamorous relationship between the main girl and the two guys 10 out of 10 it's so like the most it's like it is so funny because it's the classic like best friend from childhood who she didn't consider to be an option until he was and then but brooding bad boy with a secret soft side inside like all the classic marks of ya love triangle and then they simply went what if they just (laughs) all kissed (laughs) what if that was what was happening 10 out of 10 um Incredible. more of that please we love to see it please and also i really like the fact that we have like she's explicitly bisexual within it but she's not made to be in a love triangle with a man and a woman to like prove that that's how her bisexuality works it's like no no she's also like figuring out that she likes women but right now there are two guys that she fancies yeah and that that can be their relationship that they have yeah and the, and the book like ends that way they, i was like doing a lot of like kiss kiss i know that you're like you know <laughs> wearing giant mech suits and like fighting monsters <laughs> and all this stuff but i'm like kiss 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 yeah. you know i really know what to appreciate in this these incredible science fiction epics that yeah. I'm mentioning. And I'm like, what if everyone just had a nice time <laughs> and they got to kiss people they want to kiss? There's also a real like 
gender fucky element to to Iron Widow. Oh, absolutely. We're talking about yeah. books again. We're doing it again, Rowan. So I'm so sorry. Well, <laughs> uh, this is again the this is the what is it like a backdoor pilot where they try yeah. and do like spin off pilot. I'm like this is the backdoor pilot for queer book podcast. I think we've got time for one more option if you've got another movie that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, let's end with gender. Let's end with gender. Let's end with gender. <laughs> the end of gender. No. So this morning I rewatched this because I had only seen it once in my life, but it le- made a real impact. And that's Victor Victoria starring the Julie, Julie Andrews. Andrews movie. Yes. Hmm. I haven't seen it, but would you like to explain to the lovely people at home what what is it about? Well, it's a little bit of a tangle, isn't it? (laughs) Julie Andrews plays Victoria, who she's a singer, and she's unable to get work. And she develops this friendship with a gay man who, through a series of unfortunate and and complicated events, she ends up being forced to cross-dress, which we love that trope, don't we? And while she's cross-dressing, he has this idea that they try to get her work by passing her off as a man who can who who just has a very high register to his voice so that she can do basically a cross-dressing act. And they pursue this. She's a woman pretending to be a man pretending to be a woman throughout the whole thing. So there's 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 layers. <laughs> there's layers and then there's also a man who is very attracted to her when she's a man playing a woman. And he has a whole like fucked up thing about uh, how how he relates to her and himself and and how he deals with his own sexuality in this scenario which that part of the movie throw it in the trash okay love that throw it in the trash Uh, it's it's, it's, there's there's some unfortunate things in this film and there's also a lot of beauty i think when you first see julie andrews fully dressed up in her like pinstripe suit and and dapper little hat she is coming out of a wardrobe and she punches a man in the face. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Which. <laughs> That's gender. That's gender. But the movie is so much about how gender and perception of gender is very malleable and how people, like, how much uh, context is important to how people perceive you. Mm. And there's a lot of incredible lines by the the gay ma- main character uh toddy he's like this aging uh, uh gay performer i think he's a singer he's he's old he's poor at this point he's not super successful and teaming up with victoria like gets him that success again but they also have a very real and and close emotional relationship there's so many great lines from him and there's this one scene where they're walking down the street together the first time she's walked down a street as a man and he's talking to her about how there's so many ways to be a man. She's convinced she can't pass as a man because she doesn't talk right or walk right or, you know, she doesn't have this or that anatomy. And he gives her this pep talk that basically says, like, there's all kinds of ways to be a man. There's all kinds of men who act all kinds of ways. Men love and live in so many different ways. And people see what they expect to see. There's so much interesting to dissect. Now, I watched this when I was probably 18. I, I 
my first job was at a used bookstore and we also got DVDs in at the used bookstore. And so I stole this from my job <laughs> Wow! because I was living with my very homophobic parents and I stole the DVD from work in order to watch it because I'd never seen anything like that. And it, it, it was the first time I'd ever heard any of these sentiments. There's like, mm. there's a, there's a line where, where Victoria talks about how homosexuality is only a sin to pious men and terrified heterosexuals. And that, like, opened my brain in this new way Mm. of, like, oh, it's fear. Oh, I'm afraid. Mm. It's not that I thought something was wrong. It wasn't that people around me necessarily even, like, had any justification for thinking that this was wrong. It was that they were afraid. And what were they afraid of? Yeah. There's these two repeating themes or elements through the movie, which is like one, Julie Andrews character will sometimes release a cockroach from her purse to try to get free food and things like that in restaurants. (laughs) But cockroaches come up at various points as this thing you can introduce to a scene and suddenly everyone is like a fight will break out. People will be yelling, screaming. The scene is disrupted. And there's also this repeated thing where Victoria will sing a very high note and it will break all the glass in the room. It reflected to me how behaving differently, speaking differently, introducing queerness into any of the spaces in my life at the time, because I didn't have a lot of queer friends or possibly any at that point, would like ruin the scene. Mm. That if I release this this thing into the room it causes chaos and that is what people are afraid of that is what the heterosexuals are terrified of Mm. Um, and it started sort of opening up that like well maybe it's not reasonable at all for the for people to be scared of this maybe this is not hurting anybody actually like i said i only saw this film once (laughs) before i rewatched it it had an effect clearly it it really did because it was it was more than just vibes. It is an explicitly queer film. Mm. And it doesn't, like, well, there are certainly homophobic and transphobic elements to it, like 100%. It also is largely quite positive towards mm. the queer characters. Toddy, uh, the gay main, main character, ends with, with a partner and nothing happens to them. They're okay. They, they just live life together from there it was so different from anything i'd seen before there was no need to patchwork anything together yeah and it yeah it planted a lot of seeds that have only really come to fruition now like like (laughs) in Mm. my late 20s like lots of those really started to grow and feel real and feel like something that i could claim and stand really solidly in so thanks julie andrews thanks julie oh in in two of these movies from your... She is. She is. She's in Princess Diaries as well. Truly, Julie is the MVP of this episode. So much to thank Julie Andrews for. Truly. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. And th- like, speaking of thanking, thank you for being on this podcast because that was amazing. I feel like we went to so many different places, had such a good discussion. You brought some excellent choices to the, <laughs> to the show, including your... Boo, hiss, books, but, you know, (laughs) for you, I'll allow it. We're not literate around here. (laughs) And thank you so much for sharing all of that, because that's fascinating. And I know that a lot of people are going to see 
themselves in, you know, maybe not the exact example of Hoot, although, you know, we never know, but in that sense of understanding the outsider, like having a connection to these characters and not necessarily knowing why, like all of these elements, which I think is, is something that comes up again and again in these episodes and that I love to see what weird and wonderful things people have have brought to it. So thank you very much for joining me. Of course. This was really fun. Everybody go watch Hoot from 2006. (laughs) (laughs) And when there's suddenly like a weird uptick in views and they're like, the producers are like in the background being like, how did this happen? We got to get the Rotten Tomatoes score up, everybody. I expect to see it at least a 27% after this episode. (laughs) Otherwise, what was the point? This (laughs) whole thing has been a campaign, an introduction to a campaign to get it up to 27%. (laughs) So where where can people find you if they uh, would like to find your, you slash your work online? Where should they go? All right. Well, for my personal work, uh, my website is brenfrederick.com. But I would much rather you go check out the Bipan Library at bipanlibrary.com or at bipanlibrary on Instagram and Twitter. I'm most active on Instagram. Yeah, the Bipan Library is a resource for all, friendly to all Bipan, MSpec people out there and their allies and friends and family. Amazing. So that is it for another episode of the Queer Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, then make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you are primed for our next episode in your podcast app of choice. And if you like what you hear, consider supporting us over on Patreon, where we have some very fun perks on offer, including monthly Queer Movie watch-alongs on our Discord extremely fun Uh, you can also follow the podcast on twitter and instagram for some behind the scenes content as and when jazza and i remember to to do that and we would like to as part of this thanks once again jennifer and toby for supporting us at the highest tier on patreon rainbow parent we are so happy to have your support and we wanted to thank you once again make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so you're notified of our next episode I've been Rowan Ellis. We are edited by Julia Shafini and are part of the Multitude Collective. Find more of their amazing stuff at multitude.productions. Thank you so much, and you will hear from us very soon. Bye.